Coming up on Garden Talk. You know, you really have to be ruthless and deciding, you know, what's going to make it, what's going to move forward. And I'd rather cut the plant down and not deal with bugs in my greenhouse. If you have high nitrate levels in your plant material, you're very susceptible to pest pressure. Do not change labs because all their machines are different. All of their calibration is different. Trying to compare two results from two different labs, you're going to have a very bad time. Employ some of the science and you'll really be able to see and, and have you know recordable data next to what you're seeing. Tissue testing, sap testing, soil testing. The whole reason I'm doing all of that is so I don't have to fight pests at the end. Sap testing has really opened up a new level of cultivation for me. It's like the cheat codes for growers, for sure. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grout, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This is episode number 42. In this episode, I interview Tyler Platt from Grassroots Fabric Pots. He has been gardening for 10 years, and he grows a variety of plants, such as aloe vera, chia, apples, various vegetables, and medicinal plants. In this episode, Tyler talks about various testing processes, such as sap testing, soil testing, and tissue testing. He also talks about the outdoor and greenhouse operation that he's worked in. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's podcast who helped make that goal possible. Big shout out to Spider Farmer for sponsoring this podcast. Spider Farmer is well known to produce high quality LED grow lights at a price lower than nearly all other companies. They have board style LED grow lights as well as bar style LED grow lights. I've used their SF1000, SF2000, and SF4000 LED grow lights in the past and I got some excellent results with them. They also have grow tents, inline fans, and carbon filters. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer down in the description section below, and you can use discount code MrGrowIt5 during checkout for a discount on their products. AC Infinity is a sponsor of the podcast. Coupon code MrGrowIt will get you a discount on their products. I've been using their Cloudline T6 and T4 inline fans for several years now, and I absolutely love the automation built into them. On the inline fans controller, you can have set points for high and low temperature, as well as high and low humidity. This greatly helps control my indoor garden environment, so the temperature and humidity stays in the ideal ranges. I will leave a link to AC Infinity down in the description section below, and don't forget to use coupon code MrGrowIt for a discount on their products. Thanks to Dutch Pro for sponsoring this podcast. Dutch Pro products are now available in several countries across the world. For those of you that don't know, Dutch Pro is a plant fertilizer company that has base nutrients, additives, and pH regulators. They have different formulas of base nutrients for if you're in soil or if you're in hydro or cocoa. They also formulate their base nutrients for if you're using hard water or if you're using RO or soft water. I will leave a link to Dutch Pro's Amazon store down in the description section below. And you can use coupon code MrGrow10DP for a discount on their products. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Tyler Platt from Grassroots Fabric Pots. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on here. I uh, really love chatting with you whenever I get a chance to. This is going to be fun. 
Yeah, so we known each other from MJ BizCon. I think that's when we met back in, I want to say 2017, I believe, is when we first met. So it was a long time ago, and then we saw each other a couple months ago, a month ago, at MJ BizCon. And figured we'd do a podcast episode. It's about time. You have an extensive amount of knowledge in so many different areas. And today we're going to be talking about tissue testing, sap testing, soil testing. And then we'll have, if we have time, we might talk a little bit about your outdoor greenhouse operation uh, that you've been working in. So uh, super excited for this one. But before we get deep into the whole testing side of things, the various ways to test, can you give us a little introduction? Tell us about yourself and how you got into gardening. I'm 32 years old. I've been cultivating in Northern California for a little over 10 years. Um, the beginning five years definitely wasn't as successful as the, like the, the most current five years. Um, but uh, been working for grassroots for the last six years, and um, honestly, I've had a lot of customers just pouring into me what works great for them and the the just the the success they have in using our products or using other products similar to ours. So. I've been taking all those cool tips and just putting them to practical use in my own personal garden and trying to get down to the possible best quality I can get to. And, you know, one day I'd love to enter into some competitions later on down the road and I come back on and, and really show what I can do. Awesome. So what's your overall growth style, would you say? I mean, you indoor, outdoor, do you grow in soil, cocoa, are you synthetic, or organic? What's your growth style? I mean, I've tried them pretty much all separate water culture, um, but I'm predominantly, I'm very, very comfortable um, outdoors, um, preferably uh, in a greenhouse that doesn't have its cover on it. Um, and then we put our cover on a little bit later in the season uh, to really benefit towards the flowering. Um, but we're obviously uh, in the foothills, so we have a low amount of electricity. Some of it's on solar power. So, you know, I can't keep my greenhouse cover on all year and pay for all of those fans or even be able to have power to move all those fans. So, we don't have a cover on our greenhouse most of the season, so it's kind of like outdoor. Uh, then when we get down to you know that kind of season where we got to uh, keep things going and get to get the flower and really pushing forward, we'll put the cover on. Uh, it's a polyweed cover that's 12 millimeters, so it's not just some basic plastic you guys are throwing on, you know, little things. So outdoor, organic, living soil. I've been in the same soil for four years now, um, and uh, I've just constantly been seeing improvements because I'm not. Counting on bro science, I'm using actual science to amend my beds. Gotcha, gotcha. And that kind of wraps right into what we're going to talk about first, which is soil testing. So I assume you've done soil testing on the bed that you've been using for four plus years. Can you talk to us, you know, what is soil testing and why do it? You know, soil testing um, is really something you should use to take the weight off of your shoulders to know what you put together is going to go forward in the right direction growing, you know, many, maybe medical plants that we're growing or whatever we could be growing, but there's so much science and data that's been collected over the last 50, 75 years on what our soil makeup should be, what the chemical makeup composition, MPK, your mineral levels. Uh, we've got so much data that we can really count on to make sure that we're starting out in the right foot forward. So, you know, why wouldn't you use those tools just to make sure things are going to be successful? Um, I have customers doing this in a two by four raised bed, a um, couple fabric pots, uh, just because they really want to see that super high quality Jungle Boys um, product without having to go through all of the effort of, you know, maybe some crazy fertilization or rock wool. You know, people know we can do it with living soil already. So it's like, let's, let's get rid of all the BS and get down to really the meat and potatoes of the situation. 
Because when you do a soil test, right, you're getting, I think most people use Logan Labs. I know there's a ton of different places you can get soil tests, but I feel like the most popular one is Logan Labs. They give you a breakdown, right? There's several different tests that can be done, and they give you kind of a breakdown. Can you explain kind of that process and what it consists of that you see on that breakdown? Yeah, and there's a lot of different soil tests you could do. You could do a very simple soil test for just a couple dollars through a local lab. The main thing is, and the reason why people use Logan Labs is because they took in the most amount of samples in America and they have the best rapport. Um, and main thing is, even if you find somebody local, which you might want to do um, just because of the cost of things, stick with that lab. Do not change labs because all their machines are different. All of their calibration is different. Trying to compare two results from two different labs, you're going to have a very bad time. So uh, pick a lab, stick with it. Uh, many people are using Logan Labs because it's just so easy to translate in common ways. Uh, but I still personally would take my soil test, uh, forward that on over to uh, the uh, soil doctor. Uh, he charges you $45 to give you a big you know, four-page write-up on that and take all the guesswork out of you and tell you exactly what to amend per mineral. So you, you can't go wrong in that, that situation. Um, and you should be doing that soil testing a lot in the beginning and then taper off later down the road as we're seeing patterns. I know a lot of commercial facilities use it, right? I mean, it's it's so justifiable when you're going to have such an increase, you know what I mean? You mentioned $45 for the consulting. I think it's another $50 for the actual test. So 100 bucks. I know sometimes they'll do it before they plant, and there's companies that also will spend the money and do it before they flip the flower to make sure that they're optimized going into the flower stage. And that's more of a commercial facility, so it's very useful there. What about home growers? Would you recommend they get soil tests too or what? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, the soil testing side of things takes a lot less. I mean, you only need two cuts of soil. So if you're growing in any more than two cuts of soil, you know, you're definitely a candidate for it. It's just, can you justify spending that much money in such a small situation? You know, for me, I want to reuse my soil forever. My soil is something like some of my consider, my, some of my customers consider their soil to be something that I can pass on to the next generation, the next generation of feet on this farm. So them managing it moving forward is very important to them. I know in a tent, that's not that big of a deal. You can just wipe it clean and start over. Um, but the main thing is return on your investment. You know, let's let's do this once. Let's do it right. And let's prove to everybody else going along with viewing me to do this, that it's successful. And I know what I'm doing. Um, so a small grower, small tent grower, um, you know, five or seven gallon pots situation kind of changes too much to do this. But if you're going towards living soil or going towards just reusing your soil more than once or twice, definitely do it. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Now, what about the folks that are running synthetics? You know what I'm saying is they can justify the cost of the test and the consulting, but they're a synthetic grower. They grow, use synthetic or salt-based nutrients. Would you recommend them also getting soil tests? We would recommend a little bit of a different test. 
the test that we would recommend is called a drip drain test. So we're going to send in a little sample of the water that we're fertigating into the plant. And we're going to send in a little sample of the water that's off, you know, draining off the runoff. So we're going to compare those two in the laboratory and see what's holding into the media by obviously what's collecting out of the bottom of it. And we can adjust our nutrients levels with that drip drain test to know where things are at and where we should move forward. Okay, gotcha. And then I talked about the frequency, like I've heard of commercial facilities getting testing before they plant the crop, also flowering stage. What is your recommendation for how often? I've heard some people say only once a cycle, you know, once before you plant. Would you recommend once before you plant? Would you recommend, you know, more than once throughout the life cycle or what? If this was me helping somebody set up a new facility, a new grow, a new situation, I would start testing as much as you can afford to. So, you know, once that soil is mixed, it's in the bed, you're getting ready to plant, or obviously before you're getting ready to plant, as long as that soil is in the bed and you've done everything you're going to do to it, I'd say that's a perfect time to pull a sample. Because even if you do plant, you can still make adjustments by just doing a basic fertigation that's got minerals or the nutrients in it that you need to. How do you actually take a sample for those that don't know how to do the whole sampling process? Um, definitely with rubber gloves on because we don't want any oils from our fingers to, you know, affect that test or anything like that. Um, if you can afford to, you should go to Amazon, um, and order a, a core sampling tool. So there's a cool T-shaped device that you can insert into the soil, turn it, pull up, and then it's going to collect that sample so you can dump it into a bag. So you're not touching it with anything. You can guarantee it's going to be as best as possible. Um, Logan Labs requires two cups of soil. Um, I personally will do a saturated paste test where I'm sending them my soil and um, eight ounces of my water. They're going to combine the two together and create a paste. So they're best trying to recreate my situation at home. And then they read the available nutrients that's available to my soil, um, allowing me to know what to amend. And most, most of the time I'm amending what the plant has removed from the soil. Gotcha. Okay. And then what's the turnaround time to kind of get results back from them? Um, I'm in California, so I will ship out my sample overnight and pay a good amount of money for that. Um, you want to get your samples there, uh, by Monday or Tuesday, and then you're going to get a email by about Friday requesting you to pay that invoice and then you get your, your uh, results back. Okay. So it's not too long of a process there. It looks like it sounds like they get through them pretty quickly. Yeah, they get through them pretty quickly. And then the next step would be, uh, forwarding that information over to whoever's going to translate out, uh, your soil tests. Um, you can, you know, invest a lot of time and effort into trying to figure out where those levels would be. Um, I recommend at least getting uh, with a soil doctor once to have them explain what these levels should be. And so then it gives you something to work towards, you know, in the future. Absolutely. And if anybody wants to learn more about soil testing, I actually did a whole podcast episode with the soil doctor. So I recommend you guys go check that out if you want to learn more about soil testing, uh, because we are going to move on to sap testing Want to talk to us about what you know about sap testing? Yeah, you know, sap testing has really opened up a new level of cultivation for me. Um, uh, when you talk to Jenny Garley at New Age Laboratories about sap testing, she commonly tells how a lot of her customers were referred to sap testing as getting the cheat codes on these plants uh, for really trying to get the best genetic uh, expression possible. Um, we really want to have the best nutrient load possible. Um, we're asking um, these plants, whether it's a fruit tree or whether it's a vegetable or anything, to run a race for us and to be producing the best possible product at the end of that race. Because we want something that's going to be, you know, highly, highly minerally charged to really benefit our bodies. Um, so 
you know, using sap testing, uh, we compare the top leaves at the top of the plant and we compare the bottom leaves at the bottom of the plant. At the bottom, you're always going to see the deficiencies. You're going to see those yellow leaves first. You're going to see that discoloration. You're going to see that weird stuff. Um, also, plants, if they have an over of too much nutrients of one kind, they're going to get rid of it in those lower leaves. So we're going to collect um, about 90 grams of samples from the lower leaf of the plant. Uh, we want leaves that are fully developed, but still have obviously, you know, a nice green color in them. Um, and then with the top of the plant, we're going to collect from almost the top of the plant, but a little bit lower where we have full growth of the leaves. You know, we don't want a brand new leaf that's still still going and pushing out. We want something that's gotten out to its full, full stride, at least. We're going to take those leaves. The laboratory is going to extract the sap out of those leaves. So they're going to squeeze it out, extract it out, and they're going to compare it to the bottom to the top and see. Uh, obviously, the, the newest growth at the top is going to have all the nutrients in it. And like we discussed a few moments ago, the bottom is going to have all the deficiencies. So they're comparing the bottom leaves to the top leaves. That gives us a chance to see what's not making it to the top of the plant. Uh, we can do this soil test and we can get this soil absolutely dialed in and perfect. But the sap test allows us to quantify what's processing through the plant to create that end product. So it's very important to do that, you know, as soon as you have enough leaf material to send in that 90 gram sample. Um, a 90 gram sample is about a full one, one gallon Ziploc bag. I just fill up a whole one, one gallon Ziploc bag, measure it out, and we're well over 90 grams every time, and that gives them plenty of material to really uh, go at that. Um, if you don't have enough leaf material, I think you would very find a, a, a tissue sample testing very, very simple and very easy because you can take a small sample of the plant, whether it be the petiole or the stalk, and send that in, and that allows them to do a different um, where they ash it, they burn it. And then they measure those those levels to see what's in the plant and what's it's what it's going to do. Compared to a sap test, we're squeezing out the juice and measuring that, kind of like a blood test that the doctor would do, giving you a, a real-time way of doing so. Uh, so with the soil doctor, I know he counts on the tissues testing. He says that's the way to go. He counts on that. He loves that. That's just been around for a lot longer. Uh, the sap testing is definitely a little bit newer to the game and can give you a little bit of a more real-time situation with what's going on. Um, first time I conducted sap testing, I found out if I feed any more nitrogen, I'm going to start creating a pest problem. Uh, if I don't feed my minerals that I'm lacking in, I'm going to end up having some PM issues. So um, it's very commonly known uh, in all agricultural, all plants, uh, if you have a deficiency in copper, you're most likely going to end up with mold or mildew. Um, so I saw those copper levels were almost non-existent. They measure them in parts per million. So I said to myself immediately, okay, I need to start doing some copper foliar sprays. Um, now, the only way to obtain a lot of these minerals is to use a sulfate, which is a non-organic product. So that's a big shocker for some people. I don't want to use something that's non-organic in my organic garden. Well, you have to understand that as far as everything goes in the state of California, everything goes in the United States, if we're taking a test, a sample, we're sending it into a lab, laboratory, that laboratory is determining that we're low on these levels, we're allowed to use a non-organic substance to, to get those levels where it needs to be, and it still remains organic because we have not gone over those levels. Now, the second we add way too much and we go over those levels, it's not considered organic farming, and you're synthetically feeding the system, or obviously, and you're going to have problems because you've given it too much. 
So with that stock testing, it really let me lead forward with some corrective foliar sprays and some improvements in growth. And um, that year I was blown away. You know, I planted July 1st in my greenhouse. And by, I think, June, or excuse me, uh, about August 14th or 15th, the time when everything flips over to flower in California, um, I had tremendous growth. I had sometimes eight foot growth in some of these plants. Uh, which is just absolutely insane. But, you know, I'm using that sap testing to be feeding it supplementally, like spoon feeding it, everything it needs. And I know what it needs because I collected those samples and I'm not using bro science. Um, so it's been fun. It really has been. It's been quite a journey. It's like the cheat codes for growers for sure. So how often would you do a sap test? Um, you know, just like a soil test, you want to do it, you know, frequently. You know, for me, the first year I did it, I... I pulled my samples. I saw these low levels. I did some corrective foliar spraying for a week or two. Um, I had to wait three days after foliar spraying before I can collect my next sample. Um, so then I got to the point where a Friday afternoon, I'd come to my farm, do my corrective foliar spray. I'd be there Monday morning at 8 a.m., collect my samples before 8 a.m. because it's really important to collect those samples as early as possible in the morning. Um, then we're going to you know, immediately overnight ship those out. Uh, we're going to cold pack them so they don't, you know, get a chance to volatilize or anything crazy happening in there. It's going to be nice and cold um, and get that out there. And it's going to give you, um, you know, a, a great response of what's going on. So when I first started doing this, I did it a lot because I wanted to see the changes and see what's going on. Uh, this last year, um, I felt it a little bit more accurate to uh, do a test before I planted. Um, so I saw my plants and what their health was before going into my soil system, which I knew was in you know, a really good situation. Um, I planted them in there. I let them sit for a week or two, and I'm still well in veg. I pulled another sample just to see how things are going in that soil that I've put on the right path. And I still saw a couple little things like iron, copper, um, also uh, boron, which creates um, the big holes. If you're low on boron, you're going to get a big hole in your stem which slows down the amount of water that can pass through the stem. So I decided I'm going to spray some, I was, excuse me, I was told that I should uh, correctively foliar spray some boron, but also at the same time with calcium. Boron and calcium should always be applied together, and it really makes the get into the plant a lot easier. I'm sure you've heard that a lot of times before. So um, I kind of went through this process of twice a week. I do a boron-calcium spray, and I do a little uh, iron and copper foliar spray to offset that. And um, if you're an ever impressed by the way your plants grow, if you do this stuff, it's going to just blow your mind, especially if you've been working with the same strain for several years and you're just so used to what it looks like, so used to what it does. It just, it, this is the plan. I know it. You put it through this process, you're going to see genetic expressions you've never seen before. Gotcha. So it sounds like sap testing can be extremely beneficial in certain circumstances, especially if you're at like a commercial facility. Now, let me ask you this. Home growers, do they traditionally get sap testing done? Well, with the sap testing, you have to have the right amount of leaves to send in the sample. You got to have 90 grams at the top and the bottom. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to have to be at least, you know, in a four by eight tent pushing four plants per four by four square to have enough leaf material to do so. If you don't have enough leaf material to do so, honestly, I think you're going to find tissue, tissue testing um, a better way of going because it's a smaller sample and you get pretty much the same amount of data. How much does a sap test cost? Um, new age laboratories, if you just do one test, just once, I think it's $75. Um, if you sign up to do 10 tests over whatever period of time you want to do, you can get it for a little bit of a lower price. I believe it's uh, somewhere around $60. 
Okay. And so that one test, is that that's for both the top part of the plant leaves that you collect and also the bottom part of the plant? Yeah, that's considered one sample, the new and the old, and they're compared together. And then we get a breakdown of every different mineral, um, your bricks level, so we can see what the sugar levels are. We're going to see the pH of the, the plant material. Uh, we're going to see so many different things that really allow you to become an expert in your own situation. Um, especially for people who are doing side-by-side -side stuff or have the same setups as other people, you really want to take a step ahead. Employ some of the science, and you'll you'll really be able to see and and have you know recordable data next to what you're seeing. That makes sense. Yeah, sap testing is something I've never done before. You know, I'm just a smaller home grower. I grow no more than 12 plants. That's all I'm allowed to grow in my state. Soil testing I've done before, but the sap testing I haven't. So I think I need to kind of send one out. And I think for me, being a home grower, when it would be beneficial to do it is maybe while it's in veg big enough to where I can pull the leaves off before flipping a flower, I feel like potentially that would be beneficial because then I'd get that report, know where I'm struggling make adjustments before flipping to flowering. What do you think? That's exactly what I would do at a bare minimum because, you know, you're going to be flipping to flower. And you've got several weeks of foliar spraying that could be done there uh, until you get to a point where you're like, oh my gosh, these buds are getting big and I don't feel comfortable foliar spraying. I'm risking mold and mildew and that kind of stuff. Uh, me, I foliar spray quite a while through flower because I'm supplementing products to prevent those issues from happening in the beginning. Um, and I don't have my cover on my greenhouse, so I'm not trapping in a bunch of humidity. You know, it's getting a chance to dry out pretty fast. So everybody's situation is a little bit different. That makes sense. Let's move on and talk about tissue testing. So you kind of touched upon it a little bit. Give us the details about tissue testing. Yeah, um, I honestly would count on somebody like the soil doctor for all of that advanced information. I personally have never conducted a tissue test myself. Uh, two years ago, I got into sap testing, and that was the first thing that you know was shown to me is it's a better form of testing because they're not burning the material you're getting you know the best information directly out of the plant right then and there um so tissue testing i think can be better for somebody that's on a smaller scale and you know maybe you should be doing one of each just to see what test is more beneficial for you um you know maybe it's sap testing that's the only way to go because you like that process and it's easy for you Maybe the tissue testing is going to really be a better, simpler process for you in the end. So, you know, me, me personally, I'm going to imply some tissue testing and I'm going to compare some things and I'm going to see what's easier, what's what's more simpler for me. It's really about the less labor and what what's, you know, making us have to enjoy growing. Let's let's enjoy growing and not be like, oh, my gosh, I have to foliar spray. Oh, it's ruining my life. So I like to keep things positive. Now, I assume tissue sample, it sounds like you'd need a lot smaller amount of plant material. Is that right? So how how is like a tissue test done? You know, how much does it cost? Things like that. You know, I actually don't know because I haven't, I haven't done one myself at, at gotcha. all. Um, I've seen people take, you know, samples of a stock, put it in a Ziploc baggie, properly label it and send it out to the laboratory. Um, there's a lot less risk because you don't have to worry about keeping the sample cold. You, you can collect that sample throughout the day and then ship it out once you drive past the post office later on the end of the day. Uh, compared to a SAP test, you have to be very critical about these things. You have to cold pack it and you got to get it out there immediately. So um, it, it's going to depend on what works for you guys and, and where and logistically how far you got to ship these samples as well is, is a big thing. 
Okay. And then as far as the report, the breakdown, I think you might have touched on is it's pretty much the same information as a SAP test, or are you going to have different results? No, you're going to have all the same results. You're just not going to have a comparative from the bottom to the top. So, you know, and now that I'm thinking about it, the real thing, you know, if, if I was looking at a plant and I was seeing some definite deficiency issues and we're like, what the heck is going on with this thing? Uh, you would definitely want to do that SAP test because it'll comparatively show you, you know, what's in the top leaves, what's in the bottom leaves and what's moving through the plant. You know, that tissue sample is just going to tell you if we chop that stem off right there, it's just going to tell us what made it to that point and what the plant was able to create at that point in time in growth and when we collected the sample. Um, so I, I think the tissue testing versus SAP testing thing really depends on where you're at and what situation you're going to be best in. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Let's talk about the outdoor greenhouse operation that you've been working in. So you talked to me before we started recording this, you're excited about everything you got going on there. So talk to us about it. What do you got going on out there? Yeah. So I'm running a couple of 48 foot raised beds. Uh, we're in Northern California. So, um, you know, we're kind of, uh, riding it and out as long as we can and having a great time. Um, obviously we're growing our six plants, but on a, on a very big scale that they can become, you know, large and, and, you know, give us what we need for, for the year. Um, but, uh, the soil testing is really progressed in a way that is, I'm showing less amendments every year. So my soil is retaining nutrients and is moving forward in a very positive way. So I, I, I think by three or four years from now, there could be a point where I don't have to do anything in my soil. I can go out there and make sure it's saturated and plant my plants. So, you know, that's going to be a beautiful day, a really beautiful day when I just walk out to my farm and plant those, those plants and they take off and they do their thing. That's, that's kind of the goal everyone's getting to. And I see that on the horizon, which is, um, takes a lot of weight off your shoulders. Um, putting through a, a large crop without having any pest issues, probably been one of the most relieving things that could happen to my life. Um, tissue testing, sap testing, soil testing. The whole reason I'm doing all of that is so I don't have to fight pests at the end. Um, I'm really trying to set up this soil and set up these plants to where they can treat the soil like a kitchen and get everything they need whenever they want it. And they can live the healthiest, best possible life they can. So I'm treating these things like my children and I'm taking them to the doctor, which is my soil test, my sap test. And I'm making sure that they're going to be healthy throughout the way. Um, taking as much care for these things as you would for your infant in a certain sense, you know, on a scientific level. Um, so it's going great. I'm really happy with it. This year was some of the highest quality crop I've ever turned out. Um, and it's amazing. I'm, I'm very happy with it. Definitely. Yeah. It would be cool to get to a point where you're just adding water and you don't even add any amendments anymore. Like the goal you had said, I actually just got uh, done talking with blue of green tank. Not sure if you heard of him. He's yeah, he's got avocado tech. So he's literally just at the point where he's feeding his soil, you know, feeding the, the insects, the worms, avocados, and they're breaking that down and providing nutrients for the plant. Now, oftentimes he does do, I believe he calls it a mash where he's uh, mashing together some amendments and then putting that in with the avocado as well. But the worms and insects go crazy for them. And that's all he does. He applies one. I think he said he applies one in veg and one in flour, or half in veg, half in flour. 
And that's like so much hands off compared to, you know, feeding liquid bottled nutrients, for example, where you're, you're mixing up nutrients every single week, you know, sometimes several times a week, uh, or even just growing with organic amendments to where you have to top dress you know, two, three times throughout yeah. the grow. So becoming more and more hands-off, a lot of people see that as the ultimate goal. Now, what about chop and drop? Did you do that? Can you talk to us about that? No, I got I got rid of cover crops because they can harbor bad pests. Um, we found out a long time ago that the russet mites can feed off of the clover, can feed off of those kind of things. So if I ever do any sort of a cover crop, it's going to be maybe a dichondra, maybe some grasses. Uh, but that's mainly going to be in the off season while my soil's taking a rest and that kind of thing. So uh, now that I've harvested my crop, I threw down some more dichondra seed. It's rained like crazy for the first time ever in California. So it's going to pop like nuts. Uh, come around next spring, I'm going to have a big old mess to deal with and having to, <laughs> to clean up my beds and get them all ready to plant and everything like that. So um, I don't do the chop and drop thing. That's not my style. I'm more of doing a one inch cover crop. I mean, excuse me, a one inch mulch layer. That mulch layer is broken up three equal parts of straw, um, rice holes, and wood chips. I take three equal parts. I mix them together in a, a wheelbarrow. I fill it with water. I put a couple bricks on top for a few hours, make sure everything saturates real well. And I add no more than one inch of mulch on top of my soil. Um, more than that can suffocate your soil, make things hard for the worms. Um, so everything I've learned, you don't want more than an inch layer. Um, and it's been working out very successful for me. And the main thing is no pest problems. That's that's the goal. I'm willing to sacrifice a few other things, but if I don't got to deal with, with pests at the end of the year, we're good. What's your IPM routine in order to try to prevent pests? Uh, soil testing, sap testing is the main thing because that'll let you see your, your nitrate levels. So when you do a sap test, there's going to be breaking down nitrogen at three different points. You're going to have nitrate in, excuse me, nitrogen in a nitrate form. You're going to have nitrogen in two other forms. I can't reference right now. I should have my soil, my sap test with me. But we found out um, if you have high nitrate levels in your plant material, you're very su susceptible to pest pressure. And because and, pests, they don't have eyeballs where they view these plants. They have antennas and they're looking at radio signals and they're looking at radio waves that these plants are giving out. If they have high nitrogen nitrate levels, they're giving out heavy signals wanting those bugs to come to them. So for me, if I have low nitrate levels and I have beautiful green growth, I know that my plants are going to be very less susceptible to pests. Um, so this last year, I did not foliar spray once for um, any sort of IPM. I did not do that at all. The only thing I do is I apply beneficial biology um, at grassroots, we have the concentrated biology line, which is beneficial liquid microbes. It's a compost tea product um, that has a one-year shelf-stable life. Um, when you want to use it, you combine it with our microbial food uh, that activates the microbes. Uh, you can foliar spray that on the leaf surface and veg, or obviously I mainly just root drench that into my soil system every single week. Um, so I'm mainly farming with microbes, and I'm putting a protective layer on my leaf surface early in the plant's life, so it's got beneficial microbes on the leaf surface. Um, due to science, we now know that uh, microbes do survive on the leaf surface after your, your foliar spray is dried out. So you don't get the full life, but you do get microbes left on the leaf surface. And if, let's say, a, a, a powdery mildew spore lands on, the, on that plant surface, but we've got beneficial microbes there to consume it and to outcompete it, we're not going to have those issues. 
So I'm a microbial farmer um, using science and using science as much as I possibly can. That's awesome. That's interesting that you're not doing any IPM sprays. I mean, I talked to a large handful of outdoor greenhouse growers and everybody's spraying with, with something, whether it be neem oil or some, some sort of essential oil, you know, peppermint, rosemary, some of those things in order to try to prevent pests. That's awesome that you've gotten to that point where you're literally just utilizing sap testing, soil testing, you know, looking at your plant for the health, making sure those are in line, then you don't have to spray at all. Yeah, you know, there was a grower, a very famous grower in Humboldt, uh, Kevin Jordery. Um, if you ever get a chance to have anybody else on, you know, that's a legacy grower from Humboldt, I would really look out to Kevin Jordery. He's got some of the most amazing knowledge of anybody in the cannabis industry. You know, a, a long time, about four years ago, I got to sit down and share, share um, some medicine with Kevin. And um, he explained to me the difference in between a good grower and a great grower is the difference in between the healthiest plant in the garden and the unhealthiest plant in the garden and how big that gap is. Do we have a very small gap in between the healthy and unhealthy and a very healthy crop? Or do we have a large gap and we have more unhealthy plants than we do healthy plants? So my whole life I've been trying to go is, you know, let's close that gap and have those healthy plants that are there to survive and they're ready to run that race that we're asking them to run and be those athletes that we want them to be because they can, they're already kind of there. You know, you wouldn't pick a 320 pound man to be on the track team and expect him to win a race this season. You don't do that, you know? So grabbing that plant that's got purple stalks, purple stems, fading leaves on it and picking that to go into your garden, it's probably the biggest mistake you made that whole time. And foliar spraying or doing a pesticide when your plants really don't need it is affecting them on a greater level than you really understand. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to use an IPM product unless I have a really bad issue. Um, and if you are going to use one, I would suggest maybe Suff Oil X, um, which is retailed by Arbico Organics. It's a mineral oil and the times that I have used it or need to use it, the plants freaking love it. And I'm not going to use it again for a week or two. And if I have to use it again, I'm debating getting rid of that plant. You know, you really have to be ruthless and deciding, you know, what's going to make it, what's going to move forward. And I'd rather cut the plant down and not deal with bugs in my greenhouse than to continue on and be like, I got a foliar spray again. I got a foliar spray again. It's still not healthy. You know, if you're foliar spraying IPM products and expecting the plant to be healthier, that's not going to be the end result. The plant, you're just wiping off that, those bugs and, and hoping that it doesn't continue. You have not fix the problem from the beginning that's creating the bugs. That's, that's been my whole life purpose the last five years is what stops bugs from ever coming and what can we do? I don't want to get to the IPM side of things. That's a horrible situation. It's stressful and you're not happy. I'd rather be on the other side of things where we're constantly preventing it and, and having a happy life. So yeah, happy plants, happy life. I think that's a great way to go about it. You know, prevent the issue from occurring at all, you know, to begin. Let's transition. Let's talk about grassroots fabric pots. You say you've been working with them for about six years, I believe you said. Talk to us about what they do at grassroots, what you've got for products and so on and so forth. Uh, we're here to educate people that normal fabric pots are not smart. They actually suck. Which uh, <laughs> is why we have the living soil fabric pots right here that have a liner in it that help you uh, grow plants in an organic way. Um, so normal fabric pots that don't have a liner, they dry out from the top down, the bottom up, and the sides in. 
So there's no situation in the world where a plant dries out from all those different situations, besides maybe something that grows in sand, straight sand 24-7. So, you know, throughout the years, we had people that we thought were crazy telling us the fabric pots sucked. And we're just like, man, these things are great. Everybody buys them. Leave me alone. You know, go, go have fun. Now, you know, a couple of years later, people were telling us, I'm having problems. And then we're like, what? You're having problems. So they started telling us how the soil was drying out unnaturally. And I'm like, unnaturally? Explain to this me to explain this to me further. And they said, well, when you plant native soil, the sun is going to dry out the soil from the top down. You're not going to have it drying out from all these different angles. We want to recreate native soil as best as we possibly can. Um, we went into a grow, um, the first commercial situation we ever dealt with. We did some custom pots. Um, we did some really cool stuff, especially for uh, Scott of Crest of Soil Services, which is another great person to have on here. He's a soil scientist. Um, we did some really cool stuff with Scott. Uh, he was the first one to kind of implement that in fabric pots. And one of the people he was growing with has kind of uh, noticed like, hey, there's a big difference when I wrap these pots with saran wrap on the outside. So if you're ever cruising around living soil hashtags or cruising around on social media and seeing people playing with with uh, living soil, you'll commonly see a fabric pot wrapped with plastic on the outside. So that is somebody who's trying to recreate native soil as best as possible and eliminate the dry walls from drying out uh, that fast. So with that living soil liner, we're allowing the roots to grow all the way to the edge. They can grow down. Before they start circling, they're going to realize this normal fabric down at the bottom and start their air pruning process. So it's really cool how this is behind me. It's just worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but your roots are allowed to grow to the edge and, and have a better utilization of the container in all areas. Um, one really cool aspect that we really were not expecting is these growers started reporting back to us lower energy costs, as in their, their PG&E bills, their power bills were coming in lower because this liner right here was holding in the water from every time you watered, instead of it going out immediately into the room, it's being held back. And it's making a lot less effort for your dehumidification system and your fans to battle all of that system. So um, save water, uh, immediately have fungal life growing. So that was one of the first things that if you wrap your, your fabric pot with saran wrap, you'll probably see a mushroom or two pop up within 20 or 40, 24 to 48 hours. So it's like, oh my gosh, all that biology is there but it just was never given the right situation to really cultivate prolific and go crazy and be able to do his thing. So anybody out there growing in a normal fabric pot, I, I, I really would urge you to wrap it and see the differences and see how much water you save and see how much happier the plant is. And then on top of that, move to a living soil fabric pot or raised bed because, you know, that's really where you need to be in the future for growing your vegetables, your plants, your medicine, all on the same program. Um, so grassroots fabric pots, we, we really make a lot of custom stuff. Um, we're in Sacramento, California, and we have a 12,000 square foot manufacturing facility where we make all of this stuff right here in Sacramento. Um, our fabric is from the state of Georgia, so it's American made. Um, if you've ever been in the military or have any family members in the military, this fabric will look very familiar for uh, to you because this is the same fabric that's used for the U.S. military in their HESCO barriers barricades, uh, any forward operating base, anything like that. This is from the same exact manufacturer. Uh, we just have a little bit different specifications uh, as far as the thickness goes. 
Um, with those barricades, they can go with the thinnest material possible and it, it does great. So for us, we went with something a little bit thicker. We went with an 8.5 ounce material, which shows the weight per square inch. Um, American made, no heavy metals, uh, very consistent fabric. Um, indoors, I can't estimate a life on it. It's probably going to last for pretty close to forever uh, because there's no UV light to break it down. Um, outdoors, you've got the UV light coming down from the sun. That's what's going to break down the materials over time. There's, there's not much you can do about that. Um, you know, our products outdoors in the harshest, harshest conditions are going to have a minimum life of about five years. Um, probably well, well over that. We know we're being conservative. Awesome. Yeah. I have the two foot by 10 foot bed outside. I got some veggies there. You gifted to, to me several years ago, man. It was I had to have been 2019, I think, is when you, you gifted me that one. So I appreciate that. And I like them. I agree with what you say about how, like, fabric pots, it just dry outs from, dry outs from all angles. And when you got microbes that you need to be there to break down those amendments for the plant, you know, turn them into usable nutrients for the plant, well, if they dry out and there's no water there, they, they go dormant, right? They're in a sleep state. So they're not able to work and break things down. So you are more prone to see deficiencies potentially happen because the plants are getting a, a lack of nutrients. So I'm a believer in grassroots fabric pots for sure. I've actually also just done plastic pots over fabric pots just for the reason you, you mentioned, you know what I mean? Because I don't want them drying out from yeah. all different sides, specifically when I'm going Bleeding the water out the side. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a great talk, kind of wrapping things up. Tell us how the Kindle listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Yeah, we've actually got some absolutely amazing stuff coming out in the future. This is one of our new shirts we have, Soil Life. Uh, we have a new version of our logo coming out, some really cool stickers, Save the Soil. So uh, we haven't done any new marketing in about three years. We've just been focusing on our products and focusing on getting out as much fabric pots and raised beds as we can to people. Uh, but now for the last eight months, uh, the owner and myself have focused on some new marketing and we're really going to get down to showing how much we, we benefit the culture and how much we are a part of uh, the culture of the industry that we work in. So we've got some amazing marketing, some new boxes that all of our products will be delivered in, a lot more support, a lot more help for you know, getting forward throughout that process. Uh, so you can reach us at grassrootsfabricpots.com. You can also reach us on social media, just grassrootsfabricpots on Instagram. We have a Facebook uh, we also, um, I personally host the Grassroots Living Soil podcast. It's available on Spotify and Apple. Uh, I do what I can to have some of the best people on there as well. So you should, we should get you on there too, man. That'd be awesome. That'd be pretty cool. Well, I'll certainly leave links to you know, the stuff that you just mentioned down in the description section below. But thanks so much for coming on, man. Definitely learned a few things. It's great catching up with you. It's always good catching up with you and, and just talk a chop. And yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Um, your guys' success is my success. So I'm here to give out any of my knowledge totally free and free source. So I'd love to help you guys out. Absolutely. All right. Take care.